From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And as we mentioned in our last episode, LADFF is very excited to announce that we're hosting a three-day female filmmaker showcase and fundraiser. It's called Real Women, and it's screening from October 15th through the 17th. And today we brought out the big guns, not one, not two, but three guests. Their film, 1-800-D-Direct, will be playing October 15th. And today we're joined by the film's director, Claire McDonald, and writers, producers, and co-stars, Gemma Yates-Round, and of course, our friend and returning guest, Haley Bishop. It's a party today, ladies. Thank you all for being here. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Thanks, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hello. First of all, just congrats on a really hilarious film. This movie's so much fun. It's got so much like energy and life. I've watched it about five times already and I I still can't get enough of it. So for those who don't know about it, tell, take the lead here and tell the audience about 1-800-D Direct. So 1-800-D Direct is a short film about a group of women in 1960s Manhattan that start a database about all the men in Manhattan based on anatomy. And it is about a fateful day in the office where a woman gets the wrong information. (laughs) (laughs) A PG version. (laughs) Yeah, that's a PG version. I think our audience knows what anatomy means. The art of euphemism. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's such a really, such a fun, creative concept. Where did y'all come up with this concept? And talk to us a little bit about your writing process. Haley and I, we're very good friends. I would say Haley's probably my best friend. And um, we're best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Very good friends. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. And for many years, we went through drama school together here in London. And for many years, we lived together in a share house. And we had a lot of fun times in that share house. And one day in our kitchen over coffee in the morning, which was our ritual, we sort of started, I don't know, having a bit of a, a laugh over an idea, a, a sort of concept that kind of grew into D-Direct. And the dick jokes just kept on coming and we kept <laughs> kind of... <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should just add in there, I think it was after a series of bad Tinder dates. Um, yeah, that's right. That yeah. really sparked the, oh, I wish there was just, you know... So, yeah. <laughs> so it was out of necessity. This is... Uh, <laughs> We were trying to create the reality that we wish existed. But yeah. <laughs> time. And that was just, it wasn't like a really fast process. It was just, it, it was, yeah, like I said, it was born over conversation, over coffee, a lot of laughs. And every day we kind of, you know, added to that. And then we started writing stuff down and then we started writing scenes. And then we, you know, we didn't know what it was going to be initially. And then it kind of, evolved into into what it is today. As I mentioned, I've seen the film multiple times and with each watch, I find new puns <laughs> and innuendos that I had like missed from a previous viewing. So I think maybe by the 10th viewing, I'll, I will have finally got them all, but it's wall to wall laughs. It's just really wall to wall laughs. Claire, talk to us. How did you get involved with the project? And what do you think when Haley and Gemma brought you this concept? I was just trying to remember where our first meeting took place. It was this coffee place that was rapidly turning into an incredibly loud bar. 
because we'd never met before i think you guys came through the directors collective cine sisters which i'm part of it was kind of like a blind date and it was very difficult to hear because you guys were still being polite about things it was an incredibly euphemistic conversation at the end of which we sort of we were like okay we should meet up and work through the script together and that's kind of where it started was you know sort of going from this very euphemistic polite start to a, a pretty full-on hilarious and raunchy development <laughs> process <laughs> can i just add in too i remember very specifically claire came having done her homework with all these ideas of phallic right. things to add to the scenery <laughs> yeah. and yeah. we were like oh was, she gets it yeah the cactus, <laughs> i feel like the cactuses were, were, were born that day they came with me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, as you mentioned, the phallic set dressing, the incredible costumes also. It's a period piece. So talk to us about creating this very believable period piece on what I imagine just because most short films are a tight budget. You know, as all short films are, we did have a tight budget and we got, we kind of searched, Gemini searched, I think for like six months at least from the time we bought Clara in and we were like, okay, right now we need to find this location and just scoured every old building we could in London and trying to find somewhere that kind of fit the period and also fit within our budget and fell very short until Gemma got a tip from a, a friend of hers from a, a yoga studio. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I was working at a yoga studio at the time, which happens to be the, the best place to meet people in the industry for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had a very generous guy kind of give us a lead for, yeah, this community center, which was just down the road from our house. And we were like, this is a sign. Instead of going down the route of, you know, uh, completely unattainable, expensive period building that wasn't going to work with our budget, we ended up transforming a kind of space, a pretty blank space. And we we built, we decided with our, you know, we got a really great designer on board and we built the set that we wanted and that we envisaged. So yeah, shout out to Alice Cousins, our production designer, because we, she fully painted the room. We had to bring in all the props, like that room had, I think it yeah. was um, Marvel characters all over the walls that then oh, had to be hidden yeah, or covered up. Right. And our, you know, our VFX supervisor, Steve Bray, had to then come in and be like, okay, right, that's not period, that's not period, I'm just going to paint yeah. that out. So it was a yeah. real team effort to create. And period space. furniture is extremely heavy. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, we, had like, we, had, we had like desks that weighed like 200 kilos each that we were like <laughs> dragging into the space. But um, yeah, we, we, made, we made it work. We transformed it. It looks pretty yeah. believable. Absolutely. And in addition to the set design, the costumes being all believable here, the cast is incredible. It's fun to hear you ladies talk now because, you know, the New York accents are so great, so great in the film, <laughs> so much fun. But talk to us about your casting process and, and kind of creating the characters on the page as well, because the characters feel so lived in, but they're also like really just like fun characters, like the two jeans, like this is a small part, but they feel so like there could be another movie about the two jeans, you know? Totally. So talk to us about creating the characters and finding the right people for the parts. One of the things that was amazing about making this film was being able to rehearse, which is like often something that becomes impossible because of budget and schedule and various other things, especially on a short film. Whereas because Gemma and Haley are housemates, the casting process went a bit like sort of sitting down and, and saying, well, it'd be great to find somebody who'd be like this or like this or like this. And they would produce more and more friends 
from drama school <laughs> who are incredibly talented. So I, it was just an embarrassment of, of choices, of incredible kind of options. And it, I felt spoiled <laughs> to <laughs> choose among them. And of course, because everybody was sort of local to each other, I think many people were living in that area at the time. They were kind of all sitting around the kitchen table and rehearsing. And then we went to rehearse in, the, I think in Gemma's studio, she mentioned earlier. So we had an incredible amount of rehearsal, which was absolutely key because the one thing about the set was that we only had it for a day and a day and a half. So there was this incredible schedule which was heartbreaking <laughs> as this amazing <laughs> set was built and this incredible space appeared and and we had our moment in it and then it was torn down and painted off the face of the <laughs> earth straight away afterwards I mean the same night it was a really fun process which really helped the film come together in the way that it needed to to be done yeah in terms of the characters I feel like Joyce and Francis Again, it was one of those things that came to us really organically, was, wasn't it, Haley? It yeah. was just like we, we were just kind of like talking in those voices, you know, like having fun <laughs> in the kitchen and like making dick jokes. And then like there all of a is. sudden, you know, they, they, they were there, you know. And I guess that those little aspects of our personality are kind of, you know, show themselves in, in our characters, in, in, in Joyce and Francis anyway. Once we kind of had, especially when we had figured out like, okay, the main kind of plot and everything of the script and filled it in with all, you know, we had our main, our two leads, and then we kind of filled them in with all these other colorful people. Um, especially with the Jean and Jean, I remember we did cat, we did a kind of a self tape process to find Jean out of our friends, just because we do have, oh, yeah. as Claire mentioned, yeah, some really hilarious and talented group of friends. So it was yeah. like, okay, well, how do we choose? And we yeah. made Claire choose because we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, Shit. we'll let you do that. That's <laughs> yeah. We're lucky that, especially with Jean and Eugene, two of our very close friends, um, Philippa Carson and Will Seabag Montefiore, are in a comedy group. So they are just natural comedians, and that you know that's what they get paid to do. Um, so giving them the script was a no brainer. And then even like we wished you said, like you wish that Eugene and Jean had their own like spinoff. And like we have <laughs> thought about being like, how do we just make like a little side project of just them and their little love story and, and all the backstory we kind of created for them that isn't in the script, yeah. um, which we'd love to to do one day. Yeah. yeah, totally. It's just actually so tragic, you know, when you've got these really fantastic, like, characters and you just you know you don't have the space for everybody you know you have to be quite cutthroat with a short so I feel like we had so much great dialogue and so many great moments for these characters and like you know Mr. Jenkins was is absolutely my favorite character in that <laughs> yeah. and like I mean he is so brilliant and we had so much fun writing his stuff and you sort of they're there and you, and you have to find ways to kind of give them their moments but you know not everybody can have time. have that there's just not enough time unfortunately yeah. I will say if you watch it again Nick watch everyone else besides Gemma and I because there's some now I've seen it so many times I pref almost prefer watching them because their reactions are so good like yeah. everyone gave a million percent into their characters at every moment like you'll never see anybody like slacking off or or kind of in a daydream like everyone is very dedicated and really yeah. funny super present and like yeah it's so good you mentioned mr jenkins i just love the the end of the commercial where he's like 
1-800 Redirect. It's like he's so uncomfortable, and he's like watching the commercial back, and he's so proud of himself. Though uh, it's great. Oh, so good, so good. I'm gonna go on a little bit of a, a compliment train here, so just just kind of take it. You know, the film pretty much takes place in one location, but it feels so much bigger than that. And I think part of that comes from the script because you guys are mentioning all these places in Manhattan where where the women calling are. And then you also have the excellent use of like these super A establishing shots, which I thought was brilliant, brilliant use of like establishing, make it feel period, and also like show the passage of time. But Claire, I want to talk, the other thing that helps so much is the way that you shot it. The camera movement is so energetic. So talk to us about developing the visual style for the film. It was really exciting. Um, The establishing shots were something that came you know, they were kind of in the back of my mind. And then it was also extremely budget way of doing it, but it was also kind of pulling in, you know, some Hitchcockian kind of phallic references. (laughs) (laughs) I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to explore for, for a long time. So it was great to have the opportunity. And then in terms of the camera work in the film, there was this sense that the biggest danger to the film was that we were having to shoot so fast and in one room. So how were we going to get this really dynamic feel to keep everything moving and to keep it kind of driving forward and to keep everyone engaged as we went through the story and not have the camera sitting in a corner while people did things? Mm-hmm. Whilst also being limited, obviously, on time, on space, all the shots that are on tracks, you know, those tracks were like sort of pretty much laid around the desk right. uh, <laughs> with, with, with no inches to spare. And we have a really nice steady cam shot at the beginning when they're sort of setting up the day and starting to answer the phones, which was, I think, really important. Obviously, it was inspired by Mrs. Maisel's fabulous telephone operator career. It was kind of like a desire to create as much intrigue, as much movement, as much mystery. We decided to turn Mr. Jenkins' office into a, essentially a light box. <laughs> which was inspired actually by the briefcase in Pulp Fiction where you never see in, but it sort right. of glows. And so it was like, there are all these different little things that came together. And then we were with Kieran, who was DP on the on the film. We were looking at Apollo 13 a lot because that's a film which is essentially set between two confined spaces. You've got, you know, the NASA control room, and then you've got this tiny capsule up in space, but the film keep you know really is tense and keeps you completely gripped. There were kind of all these different places that we were pulling inspiration on, but then we had you know the technology that we had and the space that we had, so we had to kind of work within that constraint. So there's a lot of zooming about and trying to get the quickness of the characters and the quick the wit of the dialogue really reflected in the move of the camera. So it's like jokes, swoosh over there, another yeah. joke, come back for it. Oh, are you are you keeping up? Kind of feel to it. And it works. It works really well. That's totally what we took away from it. It's a lot of fun. It's just like everything from the performances to the writing to the camera work. It's just a really fun movie. So here is my final question. This is my serious filmmaker question that I, you know, like have to ask all the guests. So you can take it as seriously or not seriously as you want. Mm-hmm. What do you hope audiences take away from 1 800 D Direct? Excellent <laughs> question. <laughs> For me, with an, anything that I make, I, I really hope that people have been entertained, that it's been fun. And I felt like D Direct was, a, you know, it was a kind of really delicious macaroon of a movie. Yeah. It's frivolous and it's gorgeous and it's hopefully tasty. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was really, I mean, it's funny that it, that we finished it just as the world got pretty dark. It felt like that it was just such a sort of burst of optimism and, and fun and giggles. Yeah, we can all use some fun and giggles these days, I'd say. If I could just add to that quickly, for me, I guess what would be ideal for me is for someone to walk away from from watching that film and really feel like they want to know more about those characters mm-hmm. and, and really feel like they want to know like who they are because it's just we get a glimpse of each of them and I feel like it's a really deep glimpse. Like we get a really nice kind of taste of each individual character and who they might be and what their backgrounds might be. But it, it would be lovely if people walked away from that and, and were sort of like, you know, who who are they? I'd love to know a little bit more about them. Yeah. I'm going to second both of those things and then add just a different one so I don't just repeat everything everyone has said already. But specifically, since this is for a women in film kind of podcast, that if there are female filmmakers that watch it, that maybe they get inspired that like it's okay for us to be, us women, to be a bit silly and a bit raunchy and, yeah. and you know, have some fun with stuff and not everything has to always be too serious that that women can be funny too yeah as we are (laughs) they can be hilarious hilarious. Uh, (laughs) um, and this film is that 1-800-D direct will be screening at the los angeles diversity film festival one night only friday october 15th Tickets are on sale right now at LADFF.com. And this is just one of six hilarious short films that are going to be screening that night. So do join us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Claire, Gemma, and Haley, they're all going to help me out with our favorite segment, Give Me Three. The Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival returns to the big screen October 15th through 17th with Real Women, a female filmmaker showcase and fundraiser. Join us for three nights of outstanding films at the Let Live Theater in West Hollywood, California. For tickets and the full lineup, visit LADFF.com. See you all at the movies. Hello, I'm Sonia, and this is my Movie Minute. Today, I want to talk about another movie that I watched in New York, Nine Days. Before I start, I wanted to say that I love going to see movies while I'm on vacation or in a new city. I know most people would think that's kind of a waste of time. Like, you can sit in the dark and be literally anywhere, so why squander precious time in a new place seeing a movie? But I think you can learn something about a place by seeing a movie. It could be as simple as learning that, yes, people all over the world are the same. We all sit and watch movies in the dark in silence. Or maybe you'll find that movie snacks in one place are totally different than what you eat back home. Like, what do they eat in movies in Japan? Or maybe some places film going is a really interactive experience. When you're far from home, it's exciting and invigorating, but also requires a lot of energy. And seeing a movie can ground you, slow you down, and help prepare for the next leg of your adventure. Getting back to nine days, I highly recommend this movie. The premise felt very original, and the execution was so creative. Essentially, when a new life is going to come into the world, a bunch of different souls compete to be able to inhabit this new life. In the film, this process happens in the home of a kind, sensitive, but emotionally injured man who will ultimately decide which soul will win the chance to live. Each soul, who are represented by adults that arrive seemingly randomly at the house, 
goes through various challenges that the man sets out for them. Through the process of watching these souls try to win the chance at life and seeing all but one of them fail, I felt deeply how lucky I am to have this opportunity to live, love, and participate in this world, even though sometimes it can be so difficult and defeating. To bring it back to my earlier point about watching films in new places, I left the film filled with enthusiasm to take in all that New York had to offer me and to give back all that I had to offer in return. Check out Nine Days and let us know what you think. It's playing in theaters and will be streaming soon, I'm sure. That was my minute. Thanks for listening. You are being considered for the amazing opportunity of life. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. All right, welcome back to Film Forward, everybody. We're talking with Haley Bishop, Gemma Yates Round, and Claire McDonald, makers of the hilarious comedy 1 800 D Direct, which will be screening with LADFF on October 15th. But right now, they're going to give us three films that have inspired them or their work. And since we have three guests today, each person is going to give us one pick, making it even harder for my guests. But that's just the kind of fool I am. So. <laughs> Who wants to go first, ladies? Should we let our fair director go? Yes, please. Well, with such flattering words. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I've gone for the... I had a huge dilemma because I cannot pick a favorite, but I've picked one that I think is relevant for this podcast and also was something I wrote about when I was at film school and has always inspired me and I go back to it when I'm needing to find courage to make something, as Haley was saying earlier, you know, not to be afraid to make something fun or outrageous. The film is called Daisies um, mm. and it's actually a Czech film from the 1960s, from 1966 by a director called Vera Chitilova, who won the Locarno Film Festival with this film and then was banned from directing any films in her home country of Czech Republic for many, many years, decades because it was thought to be so dangerous. And it was, it's a kind of, I would call it a punk feminist riot of a comedy. Yeah. And it's really irreverent and it has, and it ends in a, this is a spoiler, but it ends in an outrageous food fight, which mm-hmm. just blew the senses because of course, Czech was uh, under communist rule at the time. And everybody was very sort of sententious about waste. And so to be the most provocative thing was this huge and outrageous food fight, which is very, very funny and becomes very political. Humor becomes very political, very rebellious. And I just love that, that you can use comedy in such a clever way and you can say things in comedy that people will sort of close their door to or close their mind to. But if you can make them laugh, I think you can really make people kind of think about things that Otherwise, they might not want to approach. So, yeah, daisies. You know, when I first saw this film, I, you know, I didn't know the history. I didn't know, like, that the filmmaker was banned. I didn't even know that Czech, they were under communist rule. But I kind of, like, got the sense of it by a quarter or midway through the film, just because you can kind of feel, like, the rebellion in it, even though I wasn't privy to the history. The rebellion is just, like, 
pop through the screen and then it starts to boil over by the time you get to that food fight scene you're just ready to start a riot yourself and it's a great pick great film if you haven't seen it check it i believe for my american audience members i believe it is on the criterion channel right now Mm. so uh, check that out uh daisy excellent pick claire all right who's next I'll go. I'm just looking up daisies right now going, oh, yes, this sounds excellent. I've never seen this. <laughs> this is great. This is a great segment for me, too. <laughs> I will go with one we mentioned earlier, specifically for 1-800-D Direct. It's not a film, but The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime is, I mean, there's huge influences in our film because basically I wish I was cast as Mitch Maisel in, <laughs> in that show. But besides, I mean, that TV series, if, if you haven't seen it yet, I think is brilliant, world-class from everything from the, the writing is incredible. Um, the acting's incredible. The cinematography is incredible. The set direction is incredible. Like across the board, it is a feast for the eyes and ears. I remember when I first watched it and didn't know that like you could shoot things in this way. And I think Within the last, it's been out for maybe three, four years now. And I feel like that series in particular has really informed me as a filmmaker, not just an actress, because I didn't know all these things were possible that, you know, you could use a steady cam in this way. You could decorate something in this way. The color design in there, I've gotten really into color theory from watching Mrs. Maisel. And then it's hilarious. Like it's a really funny, well done show. And as the seasons have gone on, the characters, it starts off as just being about Midge. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're in love with the dad and then you love the ex-husband and like each character has a full life. So it's a real lesson in writing as well and how you can kind of take these secondary characters and give them so much passion and creativity and that the viewer wants to watch just their story. Like, I just want to know where her dad goes on the day to day and you can do an entire series on him. Then for D direct, I mean, there, there's so many influences from that show into our short film because of the the colors and the, and the way the sixties were, I mean, it's really more the fifties and Maisel, but yeah, Maisel has been one that I kind of take now into each project I go on to. I, especially the cinematography that has influences me and will continue to influence me, I think for, for a long time now. I admittedly, I have not seen the show yet. (gasps) I I watch shows at a glacial pace. Mm. (laughs) I watch one show at a time and I watch like one episode a week. It's, so frustrating for my wife because like just like we can't we can't watch shows just because I like <laughs> I do it so slow. But this show has been on my list. I've heard nothing but amazing things. So as soon as I'm done with Mash, you know that's how far behind I am. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pop it in marvelous Mrs. Oh, it's so good. It is like the wire level to me, just okay. in a very, very different way. That's high praise. All right. It's yeah. moving up to the top, top of the list yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Gemma. No pressure, but this is the bring it the home. third pick. So you gotta bring it home with oh, a good one. Gosh. Well, I mean, listening to Ailey and Claire talking about their their choices made me a little bit self-conscious about mine, to be honest. Mine's a bit out of left field. It's I wouldn't say it's it influenced D direct at all. But it was a big inspiration for me. Um, it's my favorite film. And it's the type of film and story that I would strive to make myself and appear in, as, you know, as an actor. Um, so <laughs> the film's out of Africa. Uh, so mm. it's a, the Sidney Pollock yeah. film, 1986, a real classic. And it's based on the memoir of 
Karen Blixen, who was a Danish woman, and set at the, the turn of last century. And I, I guess the appeal of the film for me is it's her memoir. So it's based on her experience in East Africa. She had to relocate there. And it's just about her struggle, basically. Um, a woman kind of surviving in the environment against all odds as a woman, learning a new trade, paving her own way. And it was a really, really difficult time. And she went through a lot of difficult stuff, but she was just this kind of hero, really. And I guess I have a bit of a, a personal connection to it. My great-grandparents knew her in East Africa. Oh, wow. Yeah. And also my mom's born in Kenya as well. So this is on the other side of my family. So it was my great-grandparents on my dad's side that actually knew her. But I do feel a personal connection to the film. And I guess, you know, I grew up in many places around the world. I spent my childhood in Papua New Guinea. I also lived in the Seychelles. So I've kind of, I'm really drawn to stories about being in an environment that is alien and new and mm -hmm. kind of surviving in that. And yeah, I would absolutely love to make a film on that sort of epic scale. That's my film. <laughs> why, why are you self-conscious? Self that's, a, that's a great film. That's a classic. That's an excellent yeah, choice. It is a classic. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a really, really beautiful film. And the performances are yeah. so, so moving and strong. And the soundtrack, oh, mm -hmm. Oh my mm. gosh. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally brings tears to my eyes every time, every single time. I love it. If you haven't seen it, you must, must, must watch it. Absolutely. Out of Africa, it is available to rent on a, looks like a few different streaming platforms. Yeah. And also if you live in Los Angeles, it is available as Cinephile Video on Santa Monica Boulevard <laughs> and Videotech in Pasadena. Show your video stores some love. Love that. Yeah. So ladies, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Film Forward. Thanks for helping me out with the Gimme Three segment, three excellent choices. And we're just so excited to screen your film. Thanks for joining us for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Such a pleasure. Absolutely. And once again, folks at home, you can check out 1-800-D-DIRECT on Friday, October 15th at the Let Live Theater in West Hollywood. And tickets are available right now at LADFF.com. Thank you all so much for listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time. <laughs>